so they can't record the theme or cute little tape recorders out there. Incidentally, uh, have you ever considered the possibility that you may be a human barnacle attached to the great moving hull of life? Just hanging on there, you neither spin nor reap. You just hang on and suck what blood you can suck. Huh? to the tape recordings of his past life. 
And he sits there, and as he plays, like, for example, he played a tape that he had made 20 years before. And on the tape, the voice said, Today I have finally decided I am giving up for good eating bananas. I'm giving it up. It's ridiculous. I'm putting, I'm getting fat, and I'm not going to eat bananas. And as he is listening, he is sitting there eating a banana. <laughs> the play has a lot to say. Well, well, Jimmy McAleer, who's the, uh, who's one of the program chiefs here at WOR, was digging in his archaeological file. And there are fantastic archaeological files here at WOR. As a matter of fact, uh, it is one vast archaeological file, if the truth were out. And uh, among other things, we have excerpts of John Gambling Sr. giving exercises to the accompaniment of string music, the Vienna Waltz. I mean, all great moments in, <laughs> in, the, in radio. And one of the things that fascinated me about Kraft's last tape is that this is definitely, in a very real way, a play about the story of my life. And most people say, you know, that play is about me, and actually it's not. It's about what they think they should be like. I know many guys who think they're Hamlet. They aren't. They just think they are. But not many people have recorded every day, 45 minutes or so, of their thoughts on life and existence and the passing scene, and they come back to haunt them. Now, uh, Jim dug up an excerpt. Now, I want you to listen to an excerpt from a show that I did. And uh, Jimmy had this in his office, and he said he wants me to hear this. I am not. I haven't heard it. I have not heard this until this minute. I have not heard it since the day that I made the tape. Now, this tape uh, is from a Sunday show. I used to do a show here on WOR on Sundays from 9 o'clock in the evening to 1 in the morning. And uh, this show that I did and this little tape that Jim brought in was recorded April 26, 1959. Now, that is eight, let's see, nine years ago. April 26, 1959. That is nine years ago. And this is what I was saying nine years ago this spring on Sunday on WOR between 9 and 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, you walk along 6th Avenue. There's a, there's a whole... You walk along 6th Avenue and Broadway. Let's, these two streets, you know, in many ways, have very much the same philosophy. You know, with the big rubber feet... Monster feet, it says, scare the wits off your friend's head. Monster feet, come in there and wear this, you know, this kind of thing. Have you seen these terrible things you're supposed to put on whiskey bottles made out of rubber? Oh, my George. <laughs> Is this a Neanderthalic sense of humor if I ever saw it? <laughs> Have you ever looked at the guys standing looking in those windows? And more than that, can you imagine a man going in and, and, and making a big purchase? He buys ten exploding cigars, four boxes of sneezing powder, seven ounces of extra strong itching powder, <laughs> and, three, and one of those terrible ashtrays. I can't even I can't even contemplate it. But while we're on the subject of contemplation, you know you ought to go sometime if, if you've never been in New York, and even if you have been in New York, this is this is this is a a thing. You know you walk along. Broadway in about, I'd say from about 47th, right in the heart of the papaya juice belt. I'd say uh, 47th up through about 52nd. You walk along that street and you see all these guys standing against all these storefronts. 
at about 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the afternoon and all night, practically. These guys, and they're always wearing these felt hats, these fedora-type hats, and they're wearing these long sort of coats and these wide ties. Can you imagine any of these guys at the age of three? Can you? I mean, with mothers and big sisters and the whole business, you know, walking around carrying a stuffed skeezix doll, you know, or making a drum out of an empty mother's oat can. When did, when did, uh, you know, these guys that have this kind of grayish look about them. Can you see any of them at the age of 10 getting his first bicycle? And then at about the age of 16, he gets his first cigar. And that was the beginning of the end. And I would like to see some guy who is spending, who, who is a rookie on Broadway, spending his first day standing in front of the cigar store. I mean, a rookie. A rookie stander on the corner. And all the other old-timers who had their places staked out and have had them staked out for years are watching to see how he does. And he flicks his ash onto the curb there, and one of the old-timers nudges a guy next to him and says, You know, this kid has got style. This kid has got style, real style. He's going to do a lot of good standing before he's through. Oh, that was wild. I'll tell you, I, I, uh, it's, uh, this is a very ex peculiar experience for me. Jim, Jimmy McAleer brought this in. He said, you, you've got to hear this. He said he's just listening to old tapes in the, in the office there, and he heard this little bit out of uh, that show that I did. Again, for those of you who wonder when that was done, it was done in April 26, 1959. And, uh, the eerie thing about it, as Jim pointed out, he said that, that nothing has changed. Uh, uh, what I was talking about is exactly the same today as it was then, and that is nine years ago. There are guys still standing in doorways <laughs> up along. Do I sound any different on that tape than I did then? Do I sound different? No, oh, no. Now, that's another eerie thing. And... I've often said, and I, I, I still maintain this, that the, that the big difference between humor and satire, I shouldn't say satire, I should say humor and comedy, is the longevity of humor versus the short-range value of comedy. And uh, I think that illustrates the point very well. That was a little tape that was just taken at random out of a show nine years ago, and there were still laughs in it, you know? The guy flicking the ash, and the other one says, "Hey, you know that kid's got style." But uh, I, uh, a very interesting thing there, listening to that, and I and I have a feeling, and this is something that uh, that I've often felt, and I still say it, uh, that five hundred years or a thousand years from now, a lot of the things which people today take either for granted or totally ignore, are going to be the things which a thousand years from now scientists and archaeologists are going to be playing and listening to to attempt to reconstruct the society as it really was. Uh, in fact, a, a, a woman wrote to me the other night a, a great letter. She said, you know, she says she's listened to the show for a long time. She says she hears 
more things, more comments, more more uh, involvement with the world of now constantly on my show, continually. And she gets more out of it than she gets out of a lifetime of going to Broadway shows, which are about a never-never land, actually. Uh, movies are about a never-never land. They don't really deal with the world that we live in. And they, uh, if they do deal with it, they always deal with it from a, from a kind of theatrical viewpoint, which is really... Uh, a distorted viewpoint. If you're going to read, if you're going to learn anything about the life in ancient Greece, believe me, friends, you're not going to get it out of Electra. And uh, <laughs> you really aren't. You may, you may get something uh, else, but you certainly aren't going to get the, the story of the daily life of the average uh, uh, Greek man on the street who, uh, who didn't know Agamemnon from the back end of a horse that never made it to Belmont. All he knows is that the, that the big shots keep yelling around about the castle there, and once in a while they stick shivs in each other, and that's about as fine. Speaking of shivs, this is WOR, friends, and uh, <laughs> your archaeological station, and uh, this is old me, for obvious reasons. That uh, was a little cue there to uh, for those of you who have sensitive ears to turn off. We ought to in institute that on this. You know how, uh, on the show, you know how uh, uh, magazines or movies today say, uh, recommended for mature adult audiences only. That means recommended for people with dirty minds. Uh, <laughs> very few movies have I ever seen that have that that slogan above them. Recommended for mature adult audiences only. Actually, draw mature adults. <laughs> it means exactly the opposite, you know. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we ought to institute on the show. Every time I know I'm going to say something that will offend the more sensitive ears out there, I go. So that you can quickly turn over to WPAT and hear another selection from The Sound of Music. And then you can come back. <laughs> there we go. I warned you now. Uh, I have a short story. In the current issue of Playboy magazine, the July issue, you'll see my big fat name right on the cover there next to that big fat girl there who looks like she's doing a slow roll in a crosswind. However, uh, she's inflatable. However, uh, that, that story is in Playboy, and, and I have received a note from one of the hippest guys out on the West Coast who is a movie maker. <laughs> he wrote me, and he says, we have, de uh, we have decided that the story in the current issue of Playboy is the best you've ever done. Right? Of course, he can't read. That guy communicates entirely by wiggling his ears. However, uh, if you, uh, you know, we've got all kinds of letters from people saying, tell us when some of your writing appears. I have a short story called Ollie Hop Noodles, Haven of Bliss. It's in the current issue of Playboy. Okay. Now, one of the greatest things I ever had said about Playboy, though, was this lady who wrote to me from Jersey. And there's certain kind of people who their very handwriting, the whole style of writing, in a very real sense, uh, transmits their whole personality. Uh, the, the whole thing comes through, and it was this shaky kind of handwriting, you know, the, the quavery voice. To hear Mr. Shepard, I... I'm a respectable lady, and I also head the local Girl Scout troop. And I have the most difficult time getting copies of Playboy to read your fine writing for that uh, publication. The other afternoon, for example, I went into 
the store where they sell various magazines, and I attempted to smuggle a Playboy magazine out of the store, concealed in a copy of the lady's home companion. Well, unfortunately, I stumbled on the stoop as I left. The Playboy magazine fell out of the lady's home companion, and the zipper fold out spread out all over the floor, and I want to tell you, it was an embarrassing moment. I just thought you ought to know there's a lot of problems out there, folks. Life can be so exciting. In the good old summertime. In the good old summertime. We'll sit on the floor step and pick our ears in the good old summertime. We will meet. never did hear a better Jewish harp player than I am, Mac, did you? You're an old musician. You've heard a lot of guys play a lot of things. That ain't an easy instrument. You know, a lot of people... <laughs> oh, listen to me. The other day, a kid came up to me, and he had this he had this Jewish harp in his hand, and, and he said, Oh, sure, please, tell me how to show me how to play this thing. It's killing me. And he opened up his mouth, and his poor front teeth on the top were missing. And the good old, it ain't an easy instrument, I'll tell you. It's one of the few instruments that bites back, friends. And the good old, well, you, you've seen Louis Armstrong's lip, haven't you? You know that big callus you've heard of the trumpet player's lip? Well, friends, there is such a thing known as the Jews harp player's bicuspid. And the good old, oh, listen, I've seen tongues get... Listen to the control. Now watch this.
Let's see. We've got one more. We've got play one. I check out something. Oh, we got them all out of the way. All out of the way. Ah, it's just shaking off. Just uh, one of those days. And, uh, oh, yeah, I'm feeling a great mood. You probably tell that. It's just swinging there. You know, speaking of... Uh, speaking of uh, great moods and uh, just swinging along here, uh, this is... Uh, you know, this is yearbook time. You know, kids are getting yearbooks all the time, this time of the year. And uh, I have a complete collection of yearbooks from the high school that I went to. <laughs> and, and I don't often take them out, you know, and sit down and read them. It's actually pretty dull reading, but nevertheless, uh, we got a great note here. I don't often read letters from kids, but here's a great note from a kid. He says, Shep, I have had a most unbelievable experience. This is a kid from out on the island. He says, this past week has been, as I'm sure you know, yearbook signing time at most high schools. And mine, of course, is no exception. Kids at my house, high school have been rushing around soliciting as many wishes for, quote, good luck in the future as they can from everyone that they even remotely know. It's becoming a point of honor to have a yearbook without one square inch of clean white paper. Kids that have not spoken since second grade write tearful, hokey pagefuls in each other's books, propping their undying love. He said it is rumored that some kids have even asked the janitors to sign. I'll bet even the man who comes every day to refill the apple machine in the cafeteria has had a few kids desperate lest their uninked yearbooks imply unpopularity employ him for his signature. He said, as for me... I am mostly concentrating on getting people to sign who have had a great influence in my life. That's why I ask Mr. Hartman to sign. How simple that last sentence sounds. This kid writes, good writer, he says, how simple that last sentence sounds. Actually, you don't just ask Mr. Hartman to do anything. You sort of uh, timidly suggest it. Mr. Hartman, is the strictest, most imposing, crusty, staid, satiric, scary English teacher in the entire school. He has the veneer of knowing everything. That's in caps. And he actually does. When I had him as a junior, I sat petrified all year, abhorring every second of his class, even though it was there that I learned absolutely the most that I ever learned in all of my school career. Anyhow, I really wanted the signature of this overwhelming figure. And it took me a few days until I could muster the bravado to accost him about it. Naturally, I did not watch as he signed. My gaze was glued to the floor. He closed my yearbook brusquely. I squeaked, thank you, Mr. Hartman. And he strode away into the middle distance. I spent minutes imagining what he had written. For example, you're an idiot kid. Or, uh, good luck. Judging from your performance in my class, you'll need it. Or just his name, Hartman. Well, I couldn't envision him writing anything commonplace or kind. I opened the book. Shepard, I swear it. I could not believe it. He had written, Best wishes. Flick lives. Flick lives. He wrote Flick lives. Wow. 
I immediately thought of the great bond that we had had in common for over a year, a whole year, and I never knew. Mr. Hartman, the listener, I still cannot believe it. Signed, Dazed. Dazed! <laughs> let's, let's salute Mr. Hartman out there. In the good old summer's time, even old Hartman will soften around the knees. In the good old summer, summer, summertime, Mr. Hartman changes to his DVDs. In the good old summer time, oh wow, when that big old sun is shining down, you never know what is going to happen next. In the good old summer, summertime, you like my lyrics? That ain't exactly Frederick yearbook. I'm going to tell you a story about a yearbook now. It's, it's time. It's story time now, friends. And uh, I'll tell you the, the little the little moment that I had in the yearbook. Just a terrible moment. Oh. And 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 you can't erase these things. They're just not erasable. Some things happen to people. I never forget listening one time. I'm a kid. See, and there's there's a great radio show that used to come out of Chicago called Vic and Sade. And Vic and Sade was one of the, I think, one of the great artistic creations that evoke and did evoke American life. I, I, I think it, it said more about American life than anything Eugene O'Neill ever wrote because it was about the kind of life that people really live rather than the, the imaginary life. And I remember one time Vic came home, Vic, who worked at the Consolidated Kitchenware Company plant number 14 in Peoria. And he was uh, in the accounting department. And uh, Vic, the month before, had been appointed the bowling correspondent for Consolidated Kitchenware Corporation's monthly magazine. He was, he was the bowling correspondent for Plant 14. They had plants, apparently, all over the country. And so uh, he came rushing home, and there on the, on the kitchen table was the mail that had arrived. And in the mail was the copy of the Consolidated Kitchenware Plants uh, year, or rather their, their uh, publication, something called Pot and Pan, something like that. And uh, it was all wrapped up. It was all excited, see, because his first column was appearing. Now, I don't know whether many of you know the, the fantastic thrill of uh, seeing your writing appearing in, in print, uh, you know, actually being published. And... Uh, and he was all excited seeing he came home. He came, you hear the screen door slam. He says, hello, hello, Sadie. What's for supper? And she says, beef punkles. Oh, boy, beef punkles. Oh, wow. Where's the mail? 
And she says, well, there it is on the kitchen table. He said, oh, there it is. Hey, hey, look, Sadie, look. Here's my copy of the Consolidated Kitchenware Quarterly. Here. That's right. It was called the Consolidated Kitchenware Quarterly. He says, here's my copy. Look, my, my article's in there. Oh, wow. And you hear him here. Blah. And he's looking through it. Oh, let's see. Here's a yearly report. Yeah, that's a picture. You hear him going through the pages. There's plant 12. Plant 16. Plant 15. Where is it? Where, where is it? What do they do? Didn't they, they leave it out? Huh. Took me three weeks to write that. Holy smokes. Wait a minute. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. Wow. And he's laying on the floor crying and yelling. And, and Sadie says, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she picks up the magazine. She says, what, what's the matter? What's the matter? Oh, no. And there was his column. His name, of course, was Victor Gook. You got it? And it says, Bowling News of Plant 14 by Victor Vook. Victor Vook. What a silly name that is, Victor Vook. And she says, but, but that's not all, Vic. Who is that in that picture there? Who? You know how they put a little picture of the correspondent? <laughs> he says, oh, no, that's Charlie C. Strump. Why did they put Charlie C. Strump's picture in there? He didn't write this column. They got Charlie C. Strump. He works over in the shipping department. And underneath the Charlie C. Strump picture, it says, Victor Book. Oh, no. Oh, crying out loud. Well, now, this is a real tragedy. This is the kind of thing that, that, that really, it, it, it turns men into drinkers. Uh, this is the kind of thing that, that breaks up marriages that just, you know, destroys a man's entire confidence. Well, I'm a kid, you know, and I'm in high school. And, you know, that all excitement, it's, it's fall, and one day I came into school, and there in the homeroom they had on the board, it says, yearbook pictures will be taken tomorrow. Okay, you know, yearbook picture. Oh, wow. You know, it's like yearbook pictures. Like, that's kind of exciting, you know, yearbook pictures. The yearbook didn't come out till the following spring. But they're going to take the yearbook pictures. So I go home that night, you know, and I start already, you know. I'm, I'm putting greasy kid stuff on my hair, you know. I got out the combs and the brushes and the whole bit, you know. I'm trying on various shirts, very, you know, looking in the mirror, which way I'm going to look, you know. I'm going to look yeah, in the profile. I take a little dark light like Humphrey Bogart, you know, from the side... And my mother's walking around and says, what's, what's all the excitement about? You know, you're going out somewhere? Oh, no, I'm having my picture taken tomorrow. It's an official picture. She says, what? Official, what do you mean? What's the yearbook? You know, it's an official picture for the yearbook. And uh, I want to have a good picture there, you know, after all. And she says, well, okay. She says, why don't you wear your blue, your blue suit? I said, oh, no, Mom, that's square. You know, blue suit. You look like a dentist or something in the picture. No, no, no. I'm going to wear my, I think I'm going to wear my checkered sport coat. And I'm going to wear my tie with a snail on it. And, um, yeah, and uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to wear, how about, how about uh, my yellow shirt with a button-down collar, huh? I had in the, in the true style of true kidhood. Picked the most rotten, ickiest costume that I could think of. You know? But at the time, I thought it was fantastic. You know, a big tie with a snail on it was made out of tin foil. I had this checkered sport coat. You know, that had to, it was made out of barbed wire actually. And I had, 
<laughs> and so, sure enough, the next day I'm all dressed up, you know, I got my hair all thing. And uh, I, I didn't even hitchhike to school that day. I didn't want you know, the wind to get my hair all messed up, so I rode all the way there in the school bus. And all around me were all the other kids all dressed up. It's going to be a yearbook, you know. Some guys were... Some guys had their uh, Clark Gable look, you know, and other guys were wearing their Humphrey Bogart look. There were about five Fred Astaire types in the, in the, you know, the bus. We finally get to school, and um, sure enough, at 11 o'clock in the morning, they, they heard the entire crowd, and all alphabetically, you know, we're down in the gym, and we're all lined up in a big line, and here they set up in the corner there. They've got this little photography studio, the guy with the, with the thing over the head, and the flashlights going off, and... And we go through the whole line. So I'm way at the end. See, my name is S, and I'm way at the end. And I'm beginning to sweat. Oh, boy, you know, because I've been, I've been standing out in the gym for about an hour and a half. And uh, finally I arrive. I arrive up at the front, and I see the kid ahead of me. Then there's a shot, then a flash bulb goes off. So I sit down in the chair. The photographer comes over, and he grabs a hold of the back of my head. You know that, 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 uh, that iron claw grip that... The dentists and photographers have when they grab you by the back of the head, they say, here, hold your head like this, kid. Come on, hold your head like that. I said, no, no, that's not my good side. He said, get on a good side. Come on, go. Come on, I don't have no time to mess around with you. There's 500 kids behind me. He said, come on, come on. He grabs a hold of my head, saying, my ears sticking out. I'm standing there. I can feel my neck. I'm getting a, I'm getting a cramp in my shoulder. He says, here, hold on. He said, hold your head up a little bit. The lights are trying to, so they're messing with the lights. I'm sweating. And poof, poof, off goes a flash bulb. He said, now give us a little smile, will you? For crying out loud, don't stick your tongue out. Give us a smile out. All right, itchy bitchy, come on, smile, smile. There you go, hold up. Pop. <laughs> Boom. They kick me out of the seat, and it's all over. I am now forever like a fly enshrined in amber. Forever. There is no going back. They only took one. <laughs> you, know, they, you couldn't come back for a retake. That was it. Well... You know how it is. The year goes on. The year goes on. And it's now December and Christmas time. And now it's February and the, you got the exams and all that jazz. And now it's March and the beginning. The little excitement going on now. There's the baseball practice and I'm out there playing baseball. March and now it's April. And, and they, I forgot completely about the yearbook. And all you know, the excitement of school, you know, you begin to sense vacation coming up. Well, one day we came in, and it says $6 will be presented to the desk, uh, and you will get a receipt, and that will pay for the yearbook. You will now get your yearbooks, and they will be delivered to you one week before the end of the semester. So I rush home, and I tell my mother, i got to have 6 bucks. She's $6. I said, yeah, $6. i got to get the yearbook. Holy smokes, what next? So she gives me the six bananas, and I take it down. I give it to the office. They give me the receipt. And then comes one week before the end of the semester. It's a big sign that says, yearbooks now being delivered in the office. Three o'clock this afternoon. Bring your receipt. When I had that receipt, boy, stuck in my wallet, I never left it out of my sight. So that night at 3 o'clock, I'm down there in the long line of kids getting their yearbooks. And, oh, you know, they're all yelling, oh, oh look at me, oh, oh, look at it, look at Charlie, you know. And the whole line ahead of me, see, and the kids are getting their yearbooks and everybody's cheering and yelling. And remember, I am S. I'm way back at the end of the line again. They were giving them out alphabetically, always at the end of the line. So I'm way back there with Schwartz and Zinsmeister and Helen Weathers, you know, the Chester Wisniewski, the raggle-taggle 
the crowd way in the back. And we're slowly working. All these beautiful people are going by, all the, all the lovely prom queens, and they've got their yearbook, and they're cheering each other. And I finally arrive after, like, two hours of waiting. I arrive right at the desk. I put down my receipt, Jean Shepard. The girl says, all right, Shepard, 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 Shepard. She's looking through the file. Shepard, oh, yes, here it is. Shepard, Shepard, all right, please sign here. All right, then, Jean Shepard, all right. And she reaches down under and she takes this yearbook. And it's beautiful. It's all got kind of tissue paper of it that's nice and fresh. And you can smell it. It's got a leatherette cover. And had a picture of the high school stamped on it. You know, all dynamic, modern art and all that stuff. And uh, she hands me my yearbook. I grasp it in my hand. Schwartz is behind me and he's got his. He grabs his. Chester was nuts. He's got his. And the three of us now are out on the street. And I've got my yearbook. I said, oh, boy. And Schwartz opens us up. And there was Schwartz looking out of the picture there. You know, his hair parted right in the middle. He looked like a bartender. <laughs> I swear, Schwartz had never in his life had jowls. On this picture, he had jowls and he had a purple chin. And underneath it, it's a Schwartz. And he looked like a bartender on a Third Avenue bar, see? So I opened mine up. I'm looking for Schwartz. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Under Gene Shepard in my yearbook was a picture of a girl. A girl. Gene Shepard was a girl. And it said, you know how they put favorite activities? It says next to her picture, favorite activities, girls volleyball. Gene Shepard, favorite activity, girls volleyball. And it was this girl. I had seen this girl around. Her name was Lorraine Shepard. So I looked up Lorraine Shepard. Guess whose picture was under Lorraine Shepard? Here I was, looking out. I was looking out, you know, and I had this pained look. This guy grabbed me by the back, and I was having a cramp on the back of the neck, and there I was, frozen forever. My name, Lorraine Shepard. This is favorite activities. Football, baseball, wrestling. Lorraine Shepard. <laughs> I want to tell you this. I did not live that down for over two years. I remember I remember one time hitting a guy in a football game. And he got up, you know, he's a little sad. He says, I didn't know you could hit like that, Lorraine. I said, you smacked I hit him again. And again and again. Hang loose. It'll be all right.